I heard tell our favorite by popular demand, Michael Siegel's back, one of the smartest men in the galaxy. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the galaxy behind him, or as I've already been corrected, that's actually a cloud of some sort of another, isn't it? Yeah, what's behind me is the uh, Large Magellanic Cloud. Um, so our island of stars is called the Milky Way, and we have a bunch of little islands surrounding us. And this is one of the biggest of those little islands. Um, very young stars in it. And uh, this is an image that's taken in the ultraviolet. So everything you see in there is a very young uh, star uh, emitting lots of ultraviolet radiation. And it's a false color image we made from the Swift uh, telescope. Now you you mentioned islands there. What is it with because this is your you know bailiwick? Why have we always used nautical and seafaring terms where it comes to space? I know we do it in science fiction because everything's you know space and captains and whatever. Why, why do those terminologies work so good? You talk about islands. We talk about black holes. It's you know similar to you know uh, maelstroms we find in nature. Uh, we talk about the galaxy and those old-fashioned nautical terms. Why do you think that is? Where, where, what's the genesis of that, where that came from? Was it just the closest thing we could think of, or what do you think? I think so. Um, just, you know, the ocean for many centuries was this vast unknown, you know, where, uh, you know, people were few and far between, and you could go off and never return, and uh, we, you know, covered much of the globe. And I think uh, space maybe has that sort of connotation of these distant things far away and little islands of, of civilization within it. Um, I think that's a, that's a probably a big reason why the metaphor occurred to people. And I have on occasion when uh, putting together maps of things for astronomy, where we don't know something or where there's something the telescope can't point at been known to write here be dragons on the star maps. Apropos, I suppose. Well, we've never proven that there aren't space dragons, so we have to leave the door open, I suppose. Um, let's get back terrestrial for real quick. Let's go back in the Wayback Machine. Uh, as we are wont to do at Ordinary-Times.com, we have these from time to time symposiums, which reminds me we're probably due for one. Uh, we did a board game symposium, and you brought up a particular board game, and I've gotten to rereading that the last day or two, and I think there's something really interesting to talk about in here. But you, uh, master of the universe, knower of knowledge, uh, dweller of the groves of academe, explain to us the complexities of Hungry Hungry Hippo. Uh, the reason I picked Hungry Hungry Hippos is it just jumped out at me as, you know, and it's become sort of almost a metaphor for kind of mindless simplicity, you know, that during political debates, they'll say, oh, I think the, you know, this party is playing three-dimensional chess. They're trying to outwit us. And someone else will say, no, it's more like hungry, hungry hippos. You know, there's not that much planning to it. And, you know, it's sort of, but it's this sort of simple thing. And I think sometimes something simple and not too complex uh, can be appealing. You know, one of the things that is very true about the age we live in, we, you know, we're surrounded by scientific concepts, especially now with the pandemic going on. You know, we have these this constant scream for our attention from social media and from TV. And a fear of missing out is a big thing where people are afraid, oh, I didn't see the latest thing that everyone's talking about on Netflix and so forth. I got to watch that. And 
life has just gotten incredibly complex. And I think sometimes having something simple uh, that you can just mindlessly enjoy is uh, is appealing. And I'm sure somewhere on the internet, there's someone who has some complex game theory about the exact right launch angle to use for the green hippo to get the most marbles or something. But, uh, but yeah, I just been playing it with my uh, seven-year-old right before I wrote that. And I was like, I should write about this, about how, you know, this is just so much fun to just do something this simple. You actually took it uh, to tie it into your love of sci-fi. You started that piece out talking about Star Trek and a, uh, an episode called Shore Leave. And basically the entire planet is a giant amusement park and hilarity ensues because things are not as they seem. We won't ruin it for people that have not yet seen a 60-year-old sci-fi episode. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, the line in there kind of dovetails to where we want to go with this, where Captain Kirk comes out. Uh, by the way, played by astronaut uh, William Shatner. We'll get into that later. Uh, Kirk says, quote, the more complex the mind, the greater the need for simplicity of play. I think there's something pretty profound here with what you just said is the more complicated things get and we have more information and more technology and more social media and more everything. I think people just retreat to let me bang this thing as hard as I can for 30 seconds and see if I can win something because I don't know what else to do. I, I think that's very true. I mean, you see one things that are, are uh, have a sort of, I mean, a deceptive simplicity sometimes, but a, a basic simplicity have a lot of appeal. I mean, yoga is very popular. Uh, mindfulness has become very popular in the last few years. I know a lot of people who are into, you know, mixed martial arts or karate, things like that. And uh, people who swear by it saying it just helps clear out the mind. And I think with our modern society, especially with all the computers and stuff, and I'm someone on a, who with work and with play is on a computer all the time. I think just that ability to unplug and be, you know, sort of fall into your body for a little bit is, uh, is, is something that we, we desperately need and can help, you know, sort of balance the, your sanity out a little bit. Yeah. And I think you're the perfect person to ask about this, not just because you're a smart guy and you're a great writer. And, and this piece is wonderful, by the way, it's at ordinary dash times. It's called the stark simplicity of hungry, hungry hippos. Uh, that whole symposium was excellent. Please go check all those things out. But I think you're the person, perfect person to ask about this because your day job is you are quite literally trying to figure out the most complex things we know, the mechanics of the universe, uh, the origins of the universe. Uh, like you talked about with the, the Swift telescope last time you were with us, we're almost like we're looking back in time with this technology in a way how we do these things. You just explained the ultraviolet image behind you right now. You're dealing with some of the most complex things man knows about or is trying to learn about, really, because we keep learning how little we know with it. So it seems to me you're the perfect person to ask, why is it is it really just a counterbalance or is it something more ingrained and hardwired in us of we only have so much bandwidth and with our technology, we might be getting towards kind of the limits of that bandwidth. We need more simple. I, I think it's you know, probably a mix of things. I mean, you know you're making my job sound a little more grandiose than it is. Most of the time it's moving numbers from one column to the other. Yeah, it's branding. But, you're a spacecraft pilot. Don't tell them about <laughs> the Excel sheets. This is branding. Now we're trying to make you look good here. Uh, but yeah, I think, um, I think there is something very much to that, that we are sort of overwhelmed. I mean, we've seen rises in anxiety and depression and unfortunately suicide and drug use and things like that. And those are all multivariate. You've had much more, 
uh, knowledgeable guests talk about those issues on your show than I. But I, I do think that the pace of society, the constant demands on our attention, it, 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 it burns us out. And that, you know, having something, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be hungry or hippos, it could be anything, but having just some, that, that simplicity, you know, one of, I just saw a paper the other day about how getting regular exercise is a big help with people who suffer from anxiety. And I'm, I'm one of those. And I've been talking to other people about that who are like, yeah, just going for a run. Uh, can really help reduce the stress levels. And so I, I think that, you know, that ability to unplug and do something that's relatively simple, at least by appearances, is uh, is a big part of having a, a balanced life. And I, I hate to sound like a new age, you know, I should be having a, you know, Netflix show where I, you know, tell people to unclutter their houses or something like that. But I do think there is something to that, that uh, we are getting sort of overwhelmed with the, with the demands on our attention. And I was thinking about this too, is um, I know when I think about it, look at all the data we got on how many health problems are just caused by lack of sleep that they were finding out, that they found out that sleep deprivation is like being under the influence. And they've got all this data now that something as simple as not sleeping well. I'm one of them. I sleep horrible. I have medications to get me to sleep. I got medications to wake me back up. I, I have horrible sleep for a lot of reasons I'm not going to get into here. They found out that just something as simple as sleep can really completely jack your system up as bad as a disease or a drug or alcohol or anything else. Do we get to where we just look at the stars so much and we look at our technology so much and we're busy with that rat race that it's almost like we deprogram our body to work? And I don't want to get metaphysical either because I don't I'm not you know super big into yoga and stuff. I do think there's something to this that we just kind of deprogram our body from the way it's supposed to work, especially the way our mind's supposed to work. I think so. And I mean, with sleep, with the lack of sleep, I think that also plugs into uh, being overwhelmed that the most common reason I think people don't get enough sleep is they feel there's not enough hours in the day. So they stay up late, you know, they doing extra work or doing the things they put off during the day, cleaning the house, whatever. And, and then they just don't have enough time to sleep. And then of course you got to wake up and get the kids to school and get yourself to work and so forth. So I, I do think that's, that's definitely part of it. We're talking and to sleep Michael. Medicine, sleep medicine is a, a rising discipline now of trying to help people get more sleep and better sleep and have better approaches to, to how to sleep. And I think that's, uh, that's a good thing. The big thing you focused on. I think that's a very good point. Yeah. If you've ever had a sleep study, it is amazing how much your brain does crap while you're asleep and you get to see the data. Like when you hit REM sleep and that thing just goes nuts, it's like, whoa. So it's an interesting <laughs> experience. Uh, you can find those videos on YouTube. Go look them up. We're talking to Michael Siegel, our scientist friend, uh, Bon Vivant, uh, raiser of children, player of Hungry Hungry Hippos. But we're going to get into his wheelhouse a little bit when we come back from break. We're going to talk a little bit of space travel, uh, some interesting stuff, a new twist on billionaires in space. We'll get into that right after this on Hertel. Ah, it's her tell show. We're with one of our favorites, Michael Siegel. He is a regular because he is just that good. He gives good content uh, and we enjoy him greatly for it. Uh, you've, we've talked billionaires in space with you before. I actually got to because I had COVID and couldn't talk for a couple of days. Uh, I sat down and actually watched the Shatner in Space Amazon special 
And there was a couple really interesting little bits in there that I think uh, proved out some things you said about billionaires in space before. And I wanted to get your thoughts on them. Uh, one is uh, Bezos was talking about him and the other billionaires, uh, Branson, Elon Musk, obviously, uh, kind of the billionaire space race, quote unquote. And he had an interesting comparison to it. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it because you've worked on spacecraft. You're on a mission. He said to him, this era is like the barnstorming era of aviation, where, yes, it's more, you know, the the gentleman of adventure type of people pushing the envelope, but that's going to open up for everybody else, much as the barnstormers went around the country. If you're not familiar with the term, uh, they would take their plane. They would just travel, you know, around the country, fair to fair kind of deal, or just find a field, land, charge people five bucks, take a ride, whatever the case may be. And that's how aviation got popular. That was his take on it. Do you think that's a good comparison that this is a barnstorming era of space travel? Well, the comparison is not new. And Robert Heinlein sort of wrote about that, was writing that kind of thing in the 1950s, where you had barnstormers with rocket ships taking people places. And one of his main characters was Dee Dee Harriman, uh, an extremely wealthy businessman who sort of opened up the moon to human colonization. And I know that uh, Musk in particular uh, has a tendency to be compared to that to that model. I don't think the comparison is 100% apt because space is just so much more demanding and expensive. You know, if a plane starts having problems, you can land. And you can go to YouTube and see videos of people landing planes where the engine has failed or something like that and, um, and are able to survive. Whereas space is extremely hostile to human habitation. Uh, to have just people on the space station means dozens or hundreds of people on the ground supporting them. And it's an environment that is just constantly trying to kill you. So it's more like exploring the deep ocean than exploring the air. And if something goes wrong with a spaceship, it's very, very hard to, to survive that. I mean, it, it can be done as we saw with like Apollo 13 and so forth, but can it go catastrophically wrong as we saw with Columbia and Challenger. So I, I don't think the comparison is quite apt. I do think the comparison is kind of okay in that they're, they might be breaking new ground. If they can find ways to make it cheaper to get into space, that opens up space to people of more limited means. That also means that the taxpayers will get more bang for their buck when they send things into space because that the most expensive part of most space missions is the launch, the, the big rocket. Um, <laughs> There's a famous comedy sketch where they're talking about faking the moon landing and they say, well, what's the biggest expense? Well, actually, the giant rocket is the biggest expense. So we have to build that anyway. But um, but yeah, I think I, I, would, I would sort of temper that comparison with the, just the overall hostility and difficulty of uh, sending people into space. The other item that I found really interesting out of this, and this gets into what you do because you do sci-fi and real space science, both with your wonderful videos that you do. Um, I didn't know this, but Jeff Bezos who obviously, because he's so rich, he can do whatever he wants. He's almost became a, a caricature of himself in a lot of ways, like people of that ilk tend to do. But I thought this humanized him a little bit. He talked about one of the real turning points for him with Loving Space was somebody, and I forget the individual's name, had donated their science fiction collection to the local library and he found the science fiction collection in the local library. And that started all this. And that started his thing. And he actually pulled out for Shatner, you know, when he was a kid or a teenager or whatever. They had, you know, the paper drawn tricorders from Star Trek and stuff. And they would play with it. He actually 
brought him out and had Shatner take him into space with him, this sort of thing. But his a lot of that started with sci-fi. Uh, Elon Musk has talked about his love of sci-fi. Um, what is it that this sci-fi of the 50s and 60s, because it came so close to actual space travel, um, but it's still so inspiring to people, those older shows. You know, Musk ain't that much older than me. He wasn't around for the first run of Star Trek and these things. Uh, you know, Bezos is what, in his early 50s now? You know, these guys missed that first run of sci-fi, and yet sci-fi is still inspiring these guys in one lifetime that they're actually in space now. I think especially when you talk about the sci-fi of the 50s and 60s, the sense of optimism and the sense that anything was possible, you know, that we weren't bound by limitations. Nowadays, when we, you know, sci-fi tends to be a little more complex and deal with, you know, deeper issues and so forth. But, you know, you look at, say, Star Trek or Forbidden Planet or something like that. These project a very, I don't want to say necessarily utopian version of, of, human, of a human future, but a very optimistic view. And I, you know, I was born in 1972. I was too young for Apollo. But people who were around for Apollo said during that time, it felt like anything was possible. Like we went to the moon just because we decided to do so. And I think science fiction, really good science fiction, has that tendency to inspire people to believe that the impossible is possible. Talking about the possible is impossible, I want to uh, put you on the spot. I find it fascinating that these billionaires in space, they have three very distinctive uh, missions, if you will. Uh, SpaceX and Elon Musk, they're almost they're kind of taking over the, the crew and cargo mission for International Space Station and Heavy Lift. They're, they're kind of almost like NASA parallel sort of thing. Uh, Branson has done a space plane where you have the mothership and then the rocket comes off the mothership and, and reaches altitude. And then you have uh, what we saw with Shatner and uh, Blue Origin, which is an apogee mission where they, they basically just go up and gravity does the work and they, they get into space that way and then come right back down. Uh, Carnival Ride, they kind of uh, begrudgingly called it, but that's not completely not accurate. They go straight up, come straight back down. Going forward, which of those three do you think has the most? Now, obviously, SpaceX is working more with NASA because they're actually going to the International Space Station and these things. But commercial-wise for the average citizen, if this is really going to become something where people can get into space besides just millionaires, which one of those three do you think has the ticket for uh, commercial success? I think that's the beauty of having billionaires. I don't have to bet on it. We have different approaches, and we can see which one ends up working best. You know, you, It's very hard to know a priori how the technology is going to work out or how people people's tastes are going to work out. You know, people might decide that the space plane approach is the one they want to do, that that's the most appealing to them. And I think having different guys competing and having different technologies is great because that will let the best, that will bring out the best in all the technologies and let the best technology come forward. I would not be surprised to see all three uh, be viable in some, in some respect. We talked last time about the space shuttle and whether that was a bad model compared to rockets. And I said, I don't think it was because you can do things in different ways. And I think it's the same thing here that with Bezos's approach and Musk's approach and um, Branson's approach, you have different ways of doing this. And I think having that competition, having those different ways is just going to make uh, for a much better scene and 
eventually, hopefully bring down the cost of this to the point where people of less, you know, who aren't billionaires can afford this sort of thing. Yeah. Cause, and I, and I don't know anything about this. You do. So you tell me when looking at the, because it is, and I know it's a documentary, so it's shined up as pretty as it can be without all the problems. I understand that. But looking at the Bezos model, the blue origin model, where it's, you know, you have a recline, client seat capsule, which we know because we put that in the planes now because that cuts down G forces, they go up, it comes down. It seems like the simplest approach. It seems like the most understandable to the common person, like, oh, well, this is going to go up and it reaches Podgy and then it just kind of comes back down. Uh, it's a, I believe it's about a 15 minute flight end to end, something like that. That model for just a kind of a commercial purposes, that seems very easy to understand, very easy to brand. It's like, hey, this is easy. It's simple. It's safe. This is going. That seems like if I'm going to promote a brand, I can explain that in one little soundbite pretty easily. I think that's one of the tickets to making commercial viability, though, too, is you can just explain it in what you don't have to say, well, I got a five stage multi stage rocket that's going to do this, this, this and this. And you got to wait 30 minutes. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, does that make yep. sense? I think that makes sense that having, you know, just being able to say, if you pay us X amount of money, you can go into space. It's only for a few minutes. But, and I think one of the things that was very wonderful about the Shatner flight was that Shatner, kind of known for being a little bit, you know, of a person, was overwhelmed by what he'd seen, you know, with that 15 minutes and was almost speechless. And just the, one of the first things he said was, I wish everyone could get a chance to, to see this you know, to be able to see space and look down at earth and it just changes your perspective. And I think that, and certainly that is a viable model that if you can bring the cost down to say, you know, look, it's a once in a lifetime thing. It'll only last for 15 minutes, but you'll never forget it. I think that's something that a lot of people would, uh, would be interested in. Yeah. That ad pretty much writes itself, don't it? Uh, yep. and, and Shatner is a very, I know we, we kid him about his overacting stuff. He's a very smart, articulate fellow. Like he really can, like when he settled down and explained it, he was very poetic about it. But yeah, that ad pretty much wrote itself, didn't it? Yep. <laughs> uh, Bezos, is not a, Bezos is not a stupid businessman. He uh, knew what he was doing. <laughs> no, but, and, but you're a space guy. Just to wrap this up, though, is if I told you five years ago, we'd put a 90-year-old man in space, you would have thought we were nuts. Yep. Like Absolutely. that recently, that would have been because what was the previous record? John Glenn, I think he was like six. Yeah, and he was seventy. Was he seventy already? I, I don't remember. But he, you know, John Glenn was the oldest before that, I believe. I think I got that right. The Russians or somebody might have got somebody else up. But if I just told you even a few years ago, we're going to put a ninety-year-old celebrity in space, you would have thought I'd lost my mind. Yeah. Now it's happened, and we actually—it wasn't a big deal. Is what really kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it was something that we should have just sort of all watched and enjoyed. Yeah, it's like vicariously. It's like, wait a minute, we put an actor in space. Like, what the? This is a big deal. Amazing. Yeah, and I think for a lot of the you know of Bezos's generation, a lot of people who are inspired by science fiction, having a member of the original crew of the Enterprise in space meant something. But yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that uh, how fast the technology is progressing these days. Yeah. And before anybody knocks Bezos for that, I uh, just want to point out in fairness, NASA brought the entire crew of the original Star Trek, the cast, out when they rolled out the space shuttle to uh, pull out the Enterprise uh, space shuttle module. So the government did it, too. It wasn't just Bezos. Yeah. Uh, Michael Siegel, one of the smartest men we know, also one of the best men we know. You're a good egg, sir. We hope 
you and yours are well. We love these little treks into science and uh, we look forward to more videos and writing from you at Ordinary Times and on your YouTube page. Let folks know where they're they can find you, your social media, what you got coming up on the YouTube videos and all that good stuff. Uh, I, you just go to www.ordinarytimes. I usually write there once a week, uh, what I call the Thursday throughput, which is a write-up of science. And if you click on my name, it'll link to my uh, Twitter profile and YouTube and all that. Um, what I'm, I'm working on right now, I was hoping to come out with it today, but uh, I want to do it right. So I'm doing a astronomer responds to don't look up where I uh, talk about some of the science in the movie and how it struck me and so forth. And uh, hopefully we'll come out next week. Uh, I've, I've already started working on it, so it shouldn't take much longer. And we'll have you on to discuss it because I've got strong thoughts about that movie myself and we'll get <laughs> into it. Michael Siegel, you're good people, sir. I appreciate your time. Uh, glad to be on. Thank you, sir. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.